Well, good evening and welcome, friends, to this special broadcast of Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. And if you're new to the show, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, named one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality and a wisdom keeper of the goddess spirituality movement. And I thank you for taking your valuable time to be with me and my wonderful guest tonight. Thanks also goes out to Celia for that lovely snippet from her song titled Meta Prayer. Well, tonight we have a special broadcast for you, an additional uh, broadcast uh, this week, and it is my pleasure to interview Karen Larson, ordained priest in the Church of Sweden, a Lutheran evangelical Christian church that recognizes apostolic succession and which appointed a woman to its highest office. We'll be discussing if feminism and Christian philosophy or theology are compatible. We'll delve into how the Church of Sweden might be different than what most listeners might define as Christianity, what it's like to be an ordained priest in the Church of Sweden, and tending to your own uh, congregation, officiating church services. I'll ask Karen about the role women's movements within the church were a factor in increasing equality within the church. We'll get to uh, if feminism is an important part of the theology and uh, the similarities between feminism and Jesus teachings. And I should probably say that uh, um, Reverend Larson speaks for herself and uh, of her own experiences and her own opinions, and she's not really here as a representative of the Church of Sweden, although she is a priest in the Church of Sweden. Uh, But first, uh, before we get to that, uh, and we will in just a moment, uh, I'd like to read you uh, a review about Joe Carson's new book, Celebrate Wildness. And uh, this is uh, uh, according to Dana Corby in her blog, The Rant and Raven. Dana says about Celebrate Wildness, quote, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fey romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book at only 115 art-laden pages, don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time, let it sink into your subconscious, and what bobs to the surface will be wondrous, unquote. So if you're interested in Celebrate Wildness, um, it is an oversized book. It's a hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from Joe Carson at her website, feraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A, 
F-E-R-I-A dot org. And just a quick reminder, uh, if you're in the Southern California area, this Sunday at the Goddess Temple of Orange County, the Museum of Woman is hostessing this month's Joseph Campbell Roundtable. Their speaker is Laura Amazoni, and she'll be talking all about the Goddess Durga, a goddess we sorely need these days, I think. So don't miss it if, uh, if you can get there. So uh, I also want to ask you to please stay tuned uh, in with me after my interview with uh, Karen Larson uh, because we have more news from the Voices of the Sacred Feminine roving reporter, Pat. I didn't get to everything last night and uh, still got some more for you, so don't go away when my conversation with Karen ends. So let me um, tell you a little bit more about Karen before uh, we actually Uh, start our interview. Uh, I've said a bit about her, but uh, here's a bit more. Uh, She is an ordained priest in the Church of Sweden, a Lutheran evangelical Christian church, um, which appointed a woman to its highest office. Sort of makes us think of maybe Pope Joan, I think, you know, for those of us who follow those sorts of things. Uh, Karen holds a degree in theology from the University of Gothenburg and an equivalent to a master's in exegesis and New Testament Greek. She studied and interprets ancient Greek herself. She's interested in feminism, uh, 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 oh, philosophy. She'll have to tell me what that is. Philosophy. Oh, philosophy. Okay, it's just spelled funny. Uh, And social justice. Uh, She's also a traveler and has visited several countries and continents, observing various cultural interactions and spiritual traditions. She currently lives in Sweden and tends to a congregation officiating church services. And I had the pleasure of uh, having lunch with her and a good friend earlier this week, and I'm so glad to have her with me tonight. So we can actually chat with a woman priest. We don't get a chance to do that very often. And I think she's probably the first person I've spoken to from the Church of Sweden. So, Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I find this um, such a pleasure, you know, to have you on tonight and, you know, to get to hear your perspectives of, uh, you know, being a uh, a priest in a patriarchal world. Um, you know, you, you live in Sweden, the place so many of us liberals here, I think, dream about uh, living. You know, we imagine <laughs> it as this progressive utopia. <laughs> um, right. uh-huh. So I, I guess it doesn't come as too much of a surprise that there would be uh, women priests uh, there in Sweden. But, um, you know, how does it feel uh, to be an ordained female priest? Uh, you know, there, um, you know, and um, would you would you say that the fact that you are, um, you know, a, a female priest, uh, you know, how, how does that fit into your idea of feminism? Does one, uh, you know, do they sort of go hand in glove, I guess? Right. Um, well, First of all, let me thank you for having me on the show. It's a true pleasure to uh, to be on it, and and really um, a great experience to reach out to your listeners. Um, I'm very uh, grateful for for being on your oh, show. Oh, my pleasure. Um, thank you. Um, well, to try and answer your question. Um, the Church of Sweden is known to be one of the more um, 
progressive and liberal, even though I use liberal <laughs> kind of hesitancy, um, uh, among the Lutheran denominations. Um, and really for me, as, as a woman and as a priest with um, a feeling of having a true calling, um, I couldn't be in a better in a better denomination. I couldn't be in a better church. Um, though I do want to say that in my church, um, having this kind of struggle since quite many years now of, of female ministry and the right to have uh, female officiators, um, we do also want to emphasize that we are priests. We are not uh, female priests, specifically. Okay. Um, um, it is an easy enough thing to to use um, that that label, but it is very important that uh, we are priests equally, um, and to sort of emphasize that that fact. But yeah, so so well, well, let me let me just comment on that. So and that's an interesting point, and I'm glad you clarified it uh, because I certainly don't want to imply that be- that because I've called you a female priest right. that I don't no. think you're um, equal to the male priest. It's just so unusual yes. for us here in the United yes. States to come across a woman who is a priest. <laughs> right, of um, course, of course. But, you know, yeah, yeah. So um, how, um, how far back does female ministry in the Church of Sweden go? I mean, is it relatively new, or, um, you know, when when did this begin to be commonplace? Right. Um, it is, like, you know, comparing to the church history, it is relatively new. Um, the decision was first made um, in 1958 uh, to start to ordain uh, women. Um, and the first women were ordained in 1960, um, in the beginning of 1960. Um, so since then, we've had uh, women being ordained priests, but it really took a while uh, for women to be, I mean, it's only just until recently that we are about, you know, 50-50 um, male and female ordained priests. Um and for a long time, there was a lot of reluctancy to, to accept women as, as priests, uh, not only among the priests um, themselves, but also within the congregations and in society as a whole. Um, hmm. I still meet people who, who will say to me, I do not accept your ministry. I do not accept your ordination. Um, so we're there since a while, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I see what you mean. So what do you think that stems from? Uh, I mean, do you think it stems from the same reason? Um, I mean, I know we have, you know, we have female rabbis and we have female ministers, but, you know, myself coming from Catholicism, you know, uh, to break that patriarchy of the Vatican, you know, feels okay. like it's going to take another hundred years or so, you know, well, probably yeah. not, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, do you think it comes from that, that, that same patriarchal viewpoint that, uh, you know, it just is a, you know, it's not a role for women. I mean, what's the objection, I guess, is my question. Right. Um, I think there's sort of a to- twofold 
objection because of course there is there is a theological um um reason for it if you will um there is ways of interpreting the the biblical text in a way that does exclude women from ministry um so there is that point i mean that can you know exegesis is complex so you could always use any text to really strengthen any argument to be honest um if you want to um but then there is uh you know there is a societal societal reluctancy to have women in 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 positions of uh, power or influence um and really i couldn't tell you why society and its population is at uneven steps sometimes yeah well and i so i guess in a way it um you know, even our Scandinavian utopia, you know, the way we sort of, you know, look at, uh, you know, your your countries in that part of the world, you know, we sort of look longingly to the way you yeah. guys live and wish it were us. Um, I, I guess in a way it kind of makes us feel a little bit better that, um, you know, there's even maybe some struggle for women there. It's, it's still not a, an easy road that's um, easily paved. It really isn't, and um, saying that, I do celebrate the fact that my, both our society and my church um, is progressive. But, you know, um, it kind of goes a little bit two steps forward and one steps back in some instances. Um, so we do we do find ourselves struggling a bit, but it's getting, it's just such a vast difference, just Twenty years from now, and what what me and my female colleagues are facing today. So, um, so aside from the sexism, um, do you? What would you say um, is you as a, you know with a female ministry? Is is your ministry? Do you have different struggles than say um, you know the male gender who is also a priest? I would definitely say so because it is, I mean, um, even though I would say that we have uh, um, an equal society in many parts, um, we're not exempt from that same patriarchal structures that that make women's voices uh, weaker, um, that makes... uh, um, that makes us um, have to struggle more to be heard and to be taken seriously. Um, sorry, I had a little visit in the room. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> no, but um, I think I think I do, especially as a young woman uh, of a certain appearance. Uh, I do think I have to struggle more to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. And that goes kind of across the board um i think uh, also i am a victim of that same um skepticism sometimes you know um um because it is so conditioned in us to to listen more to a man than a woman than a or we expect to see this old father figure with gray hair rather than a beautiful a beautiful young red-haired woman such as yourself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, we we do have that sort of um, 
you know, we've, we've made up our mind of how a priest should look like and that wisdom, um, where that should come from. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll share something with you. I, I, you, you know, you particularly might find it interesting. I did interview, um, what, what uh, we refer to as a woman priest. I mean, that's actually the group that they belong to the woman priest right. movement. Um, and I asked her, I said, well, if you're going so far as to uh, defy the Vatican and you are going to, um, you know, follow your calling and uh, be excommunicated from the church in order to um, follow your calling, why in, mm-hmm. why in the world do you take on the label um, priest, because that's a male mm-hmm. label, why don't you call yourself a priestess? And mm-hmm. I hate to kind of throw you a curve, but I wonder, did, that, did it ever occur to you to, you know, or the women in your, uh, you know, the, the women who are priests to call themselves priestesses rather than priests? That is a very interesting question, and it is actually a question that I have been struggling with. Um, it is very hard to make a choice because I really don't think that either of the choices are particularly satisfying. Because on the one hand, if I do call myself a priestess, um, disregarding all the connotation that it might have, um, it does also make me... Um, position the word priest and give it a certain influence and power over me um, and saying that that might have a hierarchical structure um, or bring in a hierarchical structure. So for me, in the end, it was kind of important to, to, um, to take back that word, if you will, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to sort of neutralize it in a sense. Right. Um, right, right. Saying that, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Almost take gender out of it, sort of redefine it. Yes, a little bit, you know, um, like Occupy Wall Street, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, and in, in just, you know, for your reference and for listeners who might not have heard me tell that story about the interview with the, the, the woman uh, who is a woman priest, her answer was, well... She, she felt like that would have been going a step too far. You know, she thought it was already hard for people to wrap their mind around the idea that a woman was actually a priest if they um, sort of convoluted that by calling themselves priestess, she was afraid people wouldn't really know uh, what they were and what role they were playing and how they served the community. So, um, you know, I guess it just goes to show us that we really do have to reclaim the word priestess and, you know, educate the world about, um, you know, women who are serving as priests. Yes, oh, well. true, very true. <laughs> you know, women clergy. Right. Yes. Um, so, Karen, let me ask you: the the um, the the women ministers, you know, the you know the the women who are priests, do they have different rules in terms of family or anything like that? I mean, can can you have children? I mean, does the church, you know, frown upon you, you know, having a you know a, a, you know a bunch of kids? Uh, I mean, I don't know that you could handle a congregation and a big family anyway, but 
um, you know, I would think there would be so many demands on you, but I'm just wondering, are there, uh, is, is that your choice, or does the church have rules about things like that? The church doesn't have rules about that. Um, that we can we can definitely marry. We can have a family. We can have kids if we choose to. Um, I think there is. Um, a certain degree of pressure put on on all priests, regardless of their gender, to to do get married, to get married. Um, um, I guess because that kind of shows stability. But there is not um, the church. I would say has kind of a very minimal influence of your family situation. Um, so so the church wouldn't really. Um, say anything if you do have kids or if you don't have kids um, but of course there is um, a big struggle having a family and being an ordained minister um, in regards to the amount of work that you do put into um, leading your congregation yeah and, and you know and I, and I realize even as I ask that in a way that's sort of a sexist question you know uh, but but I ask it because I mean look I'm a realist I know that um, when you're a married couple you know generally most of the work for raising the children tends to fall to the woman you know so if you're you know if 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 that is sort of your um, uh, you know, that's the structure of, of your marriage. You know, you're doing the mother thing, you know, raising your kids, and you also have a congregation to minister to. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a little bit harder for a woman or maybe not. I mean, you're blazing the trail. Um, uh, and, you know, and I apologize if that's a sexist question because I realize, you know, it, it wouldn't even occur to me to ask that um you know, to ask that of a man, but but that then, you know, begs the question, you know, here we might for the first time have a woman president and uh, her husband will be the first gentleman or whatever we're going to call him. I don't know what we would call Bill Clinton. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure we know what his role would be as the the first husband let's see um i i guess how how is it for your husband being married to a priest <laughs> well i think um he finds it interesting <laughs> to say the least um <laughs> To be honest, we've talked a lot about uh, equality in our marriage, um, and we are both of that sort of like standpoint that mm, equality is not about doing the exact amount of labor or valuing different types of labor or time put in uh, against each other. Um, and the way that we see it is that we're always going to be, you know, kind of at at uneven pace with the, with each other, and there's gonna definitely be times where I have more responsibility uh, in my work, and I have to put more time and effort into my work, and he would have less, and then he would take more responsibility for the household, uh, and vice versa. If he has more um, um, more time that he has to put into his work, I would maybe step down in my job to take care of the household and we are 
sort of very at terms with that. Um, but it is it is more challenging because you do not only have the the expectations of your congregation, even if the church does not have any official expectant uh, expectations on you, the congregation definitely has. Um, you do have your own expectations as a woman in a patri- patriarchal stru- uh, structure, um, and you do have, you know, expectations from from your families and friends. Um, and it is kind of hard to consolidate all of those. Well, and, and you know, and I guess the reality is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, second-guessing my own questions, honestly, <laughs> because, you know, if you were a high-powered corporate executive, um, right. you know, you, you would have incredible demands on you as well. You know, you, you, know, you just right. happen to chose, you know, the demands of a priest instead of, you know, somebody in uh, corporate Sweden, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so were you um were you married bef- bef- uh before you were a priest or did you get married after uh you were already a priest? Uh we were married before. We were married. I'm pretty much new to both marriage and <laughs> the ordained life. So we were married um last year in August and I was ordained this year in June. Um, okay. Yeah. So you're you're embarking on a whole uh, whole new adventure. Uh, you know, it is uh, you know wearing both hats. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm very. So I need to say I'm very happy about having. Um, I'm a strong, independent woman, but I am very happy to have the support of my husband in embarking yeah. on this new life. I have to. Well, and you know, and and I I can really relate to that because my husband and I have been married 30 years and, you know, I've often said, you know, he's the wind beneath my wings. You know, I I like to think of our relationship as a real partnership and, um, you know, that's important, you know. Um, So, uh, yeah, you know, I I think that's great that, uh, you know, that, you know, you're moving forward in that direction, too. Um, so, Karen, tell us maybe just a little bit about, um, you know, how you, you know, how you discovered your calling. That that you, how did you know this is what you wanted to do for your life? Well, it is an interesting question that I do get a lot, and uh, I always find it a little bit hard to to um, answer it because. Um, it is such a curious thing this this job because on the on the on the one hand it's about the purely you know what i what i see as my gifts i like to be around people i like educating people i like educating myself um and i do love studying theology and philosophy um so that is like the the one like the hard part of it <laughs> or the the more um concrete part of it but then it's also uh, a very abstract and emotional thing because I do also very clearly um, hear the the voice of God calling me to to be a part of His church and to um, really spread His gospel um, within the church. Did you come from a religious family? Not at all, actually. No. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of funny. None of my, not my father or my mother, are part of any congregation or any church. Um, I think 
my father would even say he's an atheist. <laughs> so this was a surprise for him, I bet. I yes, I would say so. But I <laughs> they do support. <laughs> oh, I'm sh- I'm sure they do. So um, and and I and if, and I I have to you know I I hear you said God. Um, I wonder, does it, it? Do you think about gender when you think about God? I mean, uh, the idea of of goddess does that ever enter the equation? Or even in the Church of Sweden, you know, because we have progressive Christians who are, you know, changing the liturgies, uh, having mother and father you know, as, as part of the liturgy um, in bringing in a feminine face of God. Or you, is that a phenomenon that's also happening in the Church of Sweden or no? It is, it is. We're um, changing our liturg- liturgy um, right now. We are um, revising our, our handbook. Um, and it is a struggle to have a more inclusive language. And for us, in the church, I can't speak for other Christian denominations, but in the Church of Sweden, we find uh, it's very important to keep God gender neutral. So we do not see God as a masculine word. Um, but however, we are changing a lot of our other um, wordings for God, and we don't use we at least in my tradition, we don't tend to use the Lord. For example, uh, mm-hmm. we don't um, we don't uh, we put a feminine on the spirit. For example, um, mm-hmm. so there is a lot of work to be done. But it is you know it is the same with any you know language is a tricky thing. Um, it is kind of hard to to really penetrate that patriarchal structure that the language bears. You know. Yeah. But it's yeah. The work because that the- the language automatically suggests the masculine, so it's a struggle yeah, to um, to um, reprogram the mind. You know what the yeah. mind is what the mind is hearing and interpreting. You know unconsciously. Um, yes. So all right, so we we understand that the Church of Sweden, one of the highest ranking members, is uh, a woman. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, we have a structure that is um, the Church of Sweden is um, a kind of hierarchical structure, but it's a flat hierarchy. Um, so we do have an archbishop, with, which is who is kind of the the um, commander in chief, so to say, um, and she is um, an ordained priest, and she is a woman, and she was appointed, I think, last year. Uh, and she is our first female um, archbishop, and okay. she is a yeah with a theological well, think, responsibility. I'm sorry, say that again. I I didn't quite hear you. Right. Um. The the archbishop has uh, both uh, sort of administrative duty to to make sure that our organization works, and she also has a theological uh, responsibility to make sure that um, our teaching is. Um, what it's supposed to be and inclusive. So, like uh, with Catholics, you know, the Pope sort of um, 
you know, it steers doctrine and steers right. belief, you know, and so many of us now like this new pope because he seems so much more progressive, you know, uh, trying to reshape people's thinking about the poor and gay people and all of this stuff. Is her role uh, similar to that in the sense that she's sort of the moral compass? Well, yes, she is. She is sort of the, like, the executive in a sense, but we do have a democratic structure. So there is also, um, I'm sorry, I don't know the proper terms in English, but we do have a council um, that uh, also makes the the decisions for our church. And, And that council is appointed democratically through elections every third year. Um, okay. So even though, she, yeah, so it's an, a democratic structure. Okay. Um, so now with, um, I think you said, what, there's almost 50% uh, priests or women now. Was was that the, the figure I think you said close to yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, would it be going too far to say that the Church of Sweden is a feminist church? Uh, no, I would say it is. I'm not sure that all of our members and all of our uh, um, employees, so to say, uh, would agree to calling it feminist, uh, but I would definitely say that uh, almost everyone would call it that, considering what feminism means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but definitely in in our sort of guidelines, there is that feminist perspective on all the work we do. Um, do you do you think part of the reason, you know, you find yourself, you know, the Church of Sweden finds itself in this position, you know, 50% women, uh, you know, in the priesthood, um, I mean, can you, uh, is that sort of a symptom of, the fact that you know maybe Sweden is just so much further along than say the United States is when it comes to um, you know not being so sexist you know more of an egalitarian society. I mean yes, I would actually say that because uh, we've had a, a sort of societal structure that that is more inclusive and more allowing for women to join the workforce in different places, but. I also have to admit that, you know, we see this in a lot of areas where um, a profession sort of decreases in status. Uh, women are sort of let into that um, that market. Um, so, I mean, with teachers, for example, um, as the status of teachers uh, sort of decreased, women were let into that workforce. Um, and we ah. see that also in, in the priesthood. I have to admit that that's a factor, but at the same time, I mean, priesthood is perhaps not about status, and I would celebrate the fact that we are let in, or let in is a bad turn of phrase, but um, I find that it is more important that we are equal in the sense that we are just as many male to female priests rather than, than guarding our status. Right, 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 right. But that's an interesting point that you make, you know, that um, as the status of the occupation diminishes, 
they're more willing to open it up to women. I mean, and we think, and we talk about that um, as Catholics. You know, I mean, they can't get enough men to fill all the, you know, slots that they need, but yet they are too stubborn to open it up to women. But you know, maybe that will eventually be the thing that forces, uh, you know, the Vatican to also. Um, you know, open things up. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I mean, so, sadly, um, but go ahead. Yes, it's 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 kind of sad, but it's true um, that that is what what is needed. But um, it shouldn't be by necessity. It should be by um, morality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or or, like or yeah. just the res- you know just. Uh, you know, res, res, you know, respect for your fellow human being, you know, yes, regard. Yes. I, I mean, imagine that we, at some point, you and I live to see the day where gender is not even an issue and right. we don't even have to ask these sorts of questions or talk about it. it it'll just be, uh, it would just be a given. I mean, these things would be irrelevant. Right, exactly. Um, so do you think the church um, is, you know, at, sort of at an ideal point when it comes to feminism, or do they still have some growth maybe they, st- they need to do? Certainly there is room for growth. Um, I would say, um, I mean, I regard feminism as a, an, an indispensable critique on a patriarchal and oppressive structure. And I do regard Christianity as being a critique on just that, oppressive structures. From the beginning, that was what Christianity was about. Now, um, Christianity has also become just such an oppressive structure. Uh, why, and that's why feminism is needed as a critique on the oppressive structures within the church. So even though I, I do feel that Christianity and feminism is kind of compatible in that sense, that they have the same sort of um, ultimate goal to to um, reveal these oppressive structures, I do also feel that feminism is really needed within the church to say, hey, there is even still oppressive structures in in the church um, organization, and we need to deal with that. Well, I mean, the, the reality is we need feminism everywhere, you know, yes. uh, because yes. because so so many of the you know we lack equality in so many. I mean, here in the United States, I don't know if you know the statistics, but we have less than twenty percent uh, female leadership in corporate America religious institutions, academia, and I think there's a fourth one in uh, and uh, uh politics in our uh, you know our politicians in Congress. So we are less than 20%. I mean that mm-hmm. is that is a sad state of affairs, you know, when mm-hmm. when you think about it. Um so um well, and you just brought up, well, you know, you sort of answered, you know, uh, you know, without a lot of fanfare, the, the, the main question of our topic tonight, you know, is uh, feminism and Christianity compatible? Um, you know, I guess, you know, yes, it is in the Church of Sweden, but maybe not everywhere. Is, right. is, that, the, is, that, is that the answer? 
Um, yes, because I would have to say that looking at Christian philosophy and looking at feminist theory, they are sort of alike in a lot of senses, because I do feel that Christian philosophy is about, uh, is an egalitarian um, philosophy, in my point of, from my point of view. Uh, well, but, or even from like the idea, what would Jesus do? I mean, I always think of Jesus yeah. as a feminist, and Jesus's yeah. teachings as, uh, uh, you know, as as feminist. I mean, would you agree? Yes, definitely, um, definitely. But yet, you know, we have so many right wing Christians here in the United States yeah. that I mean, I don't even think Jesus would recognize these Christians if he, yeah. you know, came down on a cloud, you know, uh, because they're so far removed from, you know, from love, you know, from his teachings, from equality. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's, and that's uh, why, so, yeah. So for them, it is incompatible. Exactly, and that's why I would I would never venture to say that Christianity is a feminist religion because even though that's the basic theology from my point of view is feminist. I mean that's the the point from the beginning um, to to reveal oppress, oppression. Um, Christianity as a whole is not a feminist religion. I doubt that there. Um, the the majority of the Christian denomination would not um, sort of make the checklist of what a feminist religion would be. Um, But that does make it even more important to use feminism as a tool to reveal Mm -hmm. the structures. Well, you know, I don't know how much time you're going to have while you're here, and I don't know if you're going straight back home, but I just, I'll just throw this out. You know, maybe if you can't do it this time, maybe you can do it on another trip. But down in Orange County, about 90 minutes from where you are, uh, it would be wonderful for you to go see the Goddess Temple of Orange County, yeah. you know, with you know, all of the feminine face of God, you know, mm-hmm. in the, you know, in the archetypes of all of these different uh, deities, or go up to San Francisco, where there's where is the, uh, the Lutheran Ebenezer Her Church, and mm-hmm. um, the it, a, a female minister. Uh, I think she calls herself a minister, not a priest. I could be wrong about. No, she calls herself a pastor, Pastor Stacy, mm-hmm. and um, the church is purple. And the the back wall of the church, I forget what it's called, the nave maybe. Um, it you know there there are no patriarchs in the church. You don't see statues mm. of male deities, and you don't see Jesus on the cross. You have this mm. you know you have beautiful images of the feminine face of God, and it's called mm. her church. Um, oh. So anyway, I, I just thought I'd mention that so you'd know it exists. Uh, you That's know, very it, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and with them being Lutheran as well, um, mm-hmm. is there a connection between the Lutheran, um, uh, you know, Lutherans here in the United States and Lutherans in Sweden, or is it separate? Uh, there is definitely a connection. Uh, there is um, uh, the Lutheran World Federation, sort of a, a umbrella federation for all the Lutheran churches uh, who do have a sort of communion with each other. Um, so there is a there is there is a connection. Okay. 
Okay. Um, so I'm wondering, do you think uh, maybe the women's movements in Sweden were instrumental in helping the Church of Sweden become so progressive? I would say yes, um, because I think that, I mean, the, the way that society developed uh, during the past century, I mean, Sweden was uh, a very, very poor country in the beginning of the, the um, 20th century uh, and very rapidly grew into uh, uh, affluence. Um, but that sort of made it not keep even paces, uh, perhaps, at all in all aspects. And I do think the church welcoming women in different positions made a huge difference. Um, women's voices have always been heard in the church um, and have driven the church in a lot of ways. Uh, sadly, um, that has always been at the grassroots grassroots level. Um, it did take a lot of years um, before women were let into positions of greater power. Um, but women's movements has definitely been a big part of making the church more egalitarian. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm fond of saying that, in, you know, unfortunately, in so many of our patriarchal churches here in the United States, women are allowed on the altar to dust it and clean it, right. but not but not teach from it. You know, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate that that is uh, you know still the case in so many places. Um, well, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to remember now. I'm I'm you know uh, reaching back into my memory. I know one of the Scandinavian countries has something I think called the 40% solution in corporate America, where after you have your education paid for, they require. Uh, you know, a corporate Sweden to have 40% representation of women on their boards. Is that in Sweden or is that one of the other Scandinavian countries? Do you know? Mm, I know that there has been discussion of this, that there would be, um, I don't know what you call it, a positive um, discrimination. I don't know. Um, but I don't know if that has been ratified Um Okay. There is so, so it, it so it might be suggested, but it's not like it's a law. Right, exactly. Okay, um, all right. But there is so. I mean, I'm not denying that um, Sweden still has a long way to go. But I, because I mean, we see the same sort of structures where women women are not equally represented in in. Uh, politically or in, in boards of larger corporations. Um, but I do think we have a um, a better position than in general in the world today. So, so do, uh, do Swedish women have the problem American women have that they don't get equal pay for equal work? Or yes. uh, is, is, is it the same there? Yes, it is, unfortunately. Um, and again, it's, it's about the status in the workforce because um, I think that is true. Women are not being paid. I think it's, um, I don't know what you say. You say it's 70 cents on the dollar? Roughly, I think, you know, 70, 76 cents, something like that. 
Right. It would be probably a little bit higher in Sweden, but it is still a factor that we don't get paid uh, equally. Um, and it is also a status thing because a nurse, which is a female-dominated profession, are not getting paid the same as, say, male-dominated professions um, of equal or even lesser education, uh, which is also a problem. Oh, you're bursting my bubble now. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't think you still had those struggles there. I, I thought, uh, you know, we were alone here in the United States with those things. No, um, I mean, unfortunately, that is true uh, for us as well. But I would think that um, it is more recognized in Sweden, perhaps, than here in America. Um, even though that is still a factor where maybe it's a little bit hidden, but it is recognized. Uh, by all politi- uh, political parties and something that is, is being a discussion, whereas here in America, I feel perhaps it is not recognized as much. Okay. All right. So, so Karen, what else can you tell us about, um, you, know, uh, you know, being a priest at the Church uh, of, of Sweden? You know, what... Um, you know what what things do you think my listeners might be most interested to hear uh right um i mean doing the job i face a lot of um struggles cuz i mean as i said it, sometimes it's hard for me to be taken seriously but i do think that i have um um a, the greatest job i could ever find and i and i really um I'm so grateful for having the opportunity to be a minister or a priest. Um, I do also think that the most important thing I can do in my ministry is to um, provide a serious theological thought, which does um, encompass all aspects of the human experience in conversation with the transcendent. Um, And that, for me, is bringing a feminist voice to it. it is it is a, a a job that really encompasses a lot of things. It can be drinking coffee with um, pensioners. It can be taking care of kids coming from school and needing help with their homework. And it is also providing a true exegesis of what I find the gospel really brings to us today. Um, right. Well, so, well. So let me ask you again. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. This is probably a sexist question, but if your husband was the priest and you were the priest's wife, um, so often we see here the structure uh, in the United States is well, the priest's wife. You know, she sort of oversees the. Uh, you know, the maybe the spaghetti dinner and the. You know, the uh, taking care of the kids and. Uh, you know the women's work kind of thing. Does do you have to enlist your husband to sort of assist in you know in your in your congregation, um, or you know I, I, I'm just wondering what the what the structure is like. Does he have to you know pitch in as your spouse? Um, no, he doesn't actually do that, and I think that women who are the the wives of priests do not actually do that either. Because, oh. and this is what I find is a good structure within our church that makes it um, um, more equal. Because uh, we 
are lucky enough to have quite a bit of funds, quite a good economy that we can actually employ uh, quite kind of a, um, a width of, of different people. So we have minister or priests who are the theolo- responsible for theology, the theological um, questions in the congregation, but we do also have deacons and we have pedagogues pedagogues, pedagogues, uh, or teachers. Uh, we have, um, yeah, we have administrators, um, to take care of all of those things. And I think that that has been a good way for us to make everyone more equal because we have people taking care of things, um, that does not necessarily has to do with gender roles. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't, I and, hope and I'm making priest, myself whoever there. it is doesn't have to, uh, their spouse doesn't have to make the coffee. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I think that that I I think I'm explaining it kind of badly, but I do think that we have a structure that um, um, provides better equality for uh, both employees and the congregation and the spouses. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And and you know what, you're doing a great job because you know what, I have forgotten that English is probably not your first language. Um, you would you would you would not even think that to to hear you speak. So you're you're doing an excellent job. Um, so don't even give that a second thought. Um, well, Karen, I um, you know I can't think of anything else I'd like to ask you. Um, is there anything that I haven't thought uh, to ask that maybe you'd like to share about um, you know your your ministry or your congregation or um, you know, feminism within the church or anything like that? Well, you know that you're inviting me to preach <laughs> by saying <laughs> that. <laughs> um, well, you know, um, I would just like to conclude with saying my church is not perfect. I do believe that we have um, a lot to offer in both our interpretation of the gospel, which is more um, inclusive and liberal and I think would inspire a lot of Christians around the world. I do think we have a lot of, uh, of a lot of road left when it comes to uh, complete equality and, and a, f- a true feminist voice. Um, but I am very happy to see a church church that really embraces um, all all genders, all affiliations, um, you know, um, and I'm very happy to be a representative of my church. And I do well, and, honestly, and, and I do honestly believe that um, Christianity and feminism has um, a lot of compatibility. Yeah, I think so too. When you know, especially if they're sticking to the teachings uh, of Jesus and not. Uh, you know, going astray and, mm. you know, getting crazy, you know, a, a crazy mm. patriarchy stuff. Mm. Um, okay. Um, well, you know, for my listeners who are, um, you know, who are, you know, sort of walk that fine line between, you know, goddess spirituality and paganism and, and you know, maybe uh, Christianity, you know, some of them look at Mary uh, the mother of Jesus, um, you know, they've, they've sort of 
rewritten her script in a way. You know, she's not this docile, benign character. Uh, Mary Magdalene is no longer the, you know, the, you know, the repentant prostitute. Instead, she's, mm-hmm. you know, the equal partner of Jesus. You know, they're sort of like the divine feminine and sacred masculine and partnership thing. Um, is mm-hmm. that any, you know, do you have that phenomena going on in the Church of Sweden, you know, as we're sort of redefining, um, you know, uh, the, the Marys? Um, there's definitely that movement, and I really celebrate that sort of re, redefinition of, of women in the Bible. However, I do want to also because I think it is important to to really recognize the oppression in the biblical text, not necessarily um, the because I do believe that Jesus was a historical person, and I think um, the historical people that are described in the Bible have. I think it's really important that we're redefining their roles. I think it's really important that we are celebrating the Marys. Uh, and giving them the voice that they probably originally had. But I do also believe that it's very important to recognize that the biblical text also talks about oppression, also uh, are repressing women in a lot of senses, in a lot of passages. Um, and also, We don't hear much course, about so. those. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, I think it's very important that the, the Bible is a book. And it does celebrate the feminine, uh, and we, and there is a lot of text that really shows that Jesus was a true feminist. But it is, I think it's, you know, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. We can still recognize that yes, there are also texts that uh, are have been used and are being used to oppress women. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. um, even though I do believe that there are a lot of passages that really talks about. Christianity being a true feminism, there are also, on the other hand, texts that are not. Well, you know, you, a, uh, I, I would love to have you come go toe-to-toe with uh, some of these Christians here in the United States who never uh, talk about those passages, Karen. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Well, and, you know, and I'm thinking, too, you know, as some of us sort of rediscover and redefine Mary, especially Mary, the mother of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, some of us like to think of her as the first teacher of Jesus, that maybe mm-hmm. he even learned his social justice activism at her knee. You know, yeah. I mean, here they lived under the, you know, the oppression of Rome. Um, and, you know, uh, who better to have maybe, you know, started his teachings than his mother? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, maybe that's putting a contemporary spin on it, but um, you know, that's how some of us would would prefer to see her. You know, rather than this benign, docile character that patriarchal Christianity makes her out to be. Exactly, and I think that you can find those traces already within some of the biblical texts. And I mean, there is for sure uh, a gospel by Mary Magdalene. She has for sure written a gospel. Um, there is, I mean, it's just been silenced, and we have a church that has interpreted certain texts in a way that they're not actually written in, in order to um, suppress the voice of women. And I think that's important to recognize. 
Well, and you brought that up, so let me ask you, you know, because I don't really know much about your liturgy and, you know, and I don't know, know enough about all the different churches to know where, uh, how they differ from one another, but you bring up the Gospel of, uh, of Mary. I mean, we know that's not, you know, that's sort of heretical uh, in, you know, Christianity here in the United States. I mean, is it, is it considered, uh, I mean, it's not part of the, the Gospel's, in the Church of Sweden, either probably is it? I mean, that's it's still heretical there as well, or it is. So I mean, it's not a part of the Gospels, and it's not even a part of the um, apocryphic uh, literature. Um, but I think since my church is so um, vested or so founded in the um, academia, I think a lot of us who are priests now. Uh, do sort of recognize that there are uh, non-biblical sources that hold um, equal amounts of, um, um, I'm forgetting the word, but but could potentially have equal amount of influence. Um, And that is something I also celebrate, that we have a sort of academical perspective on our yeah 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 so yeah so you're not you know getting you're you're not just solely informed uh by by the new testament or the bible you know you're you're using other uh you know other uh, research and references to inform uh your your ministry so to speak Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So my final question, do you have a favorite sermon that uh that you give? Is there a particular time of the year or a, or a particular topic that um you know kind of gets you more excited and um and inspired? Definitely. Um definitely Easter. Um because I think that that is an instance that is a pivotal point in the Christian thought, but it is also a point where actually women are in the biblical text in a very prominent way, and there's so much depth in that um, um, exegesis to be made, so that is definitely a, a big inspiration for me. Okay, so I'm going to throw you a curve here, and you don't have to answer because I don't want to put you on the spot and make you uncomfortable. But when somebody in your congregation, if they would come to you and say, so, um, you know, Reverend Karen, uh, do you think uh, Jesus and Mary were actually married? What do you say? (laughs) (laughs) Oi. Well, to to be honest, I would say um, yes and no. I mean, um, if they were married, that would not make a difference for me. It would not make uh, Jesus more or less human or divine. Um, it's, for me, personally, I would think that they weren't. Uh, but if they were, it wouldn't make dif- a difference for me for the message of the Gospels. Um, I see. Anything, well, you know, I mean, some, they... Well, you know, some people say that if they could recognize that, that union that it might be more about the divine family rather than the patriarchal trinity because of course you know uh you know uh, uh, we're not saying sophia or wisdom is is feminine you know it's it's all about the guys um mm-hmm. but but you'd have a holy family then and that might make for a more healthy 
um, you know, a more healthy trinity, more egalitarianism, inclusiveness. I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm just sharing with you uh, yeah. theories that are talked about in circles I'm in, you know. It's an interesting perspective, but I would say that, I mean, I would like for Mary, to, Mary Magdalene to be celebrated in her own right and not through her marriage uh, with Jesus. Um, because Very I think good, that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what, that, that, is, that is a great point. That is a great point, and I am going to try to make the point of remembering that. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, I, I can't think of anything else. Um, uh, anything more from you before we close, um, you know, that, that you might like listeners to know? Well, I should probably <laughs> let it be at that. But it's been great talking to you, and, and I really enjoy listening to your show, and I, would de- I will definitely um, start following you from this point on in, in a really great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. You're so kind. And I have to say, I so enjoyed having lunch with you and and our friend. And, uh, you know, my only regret was that it wasn't about five times longer than, uh, than it was because I, I got the feeling you and I and, and, uh, and our friend could probably have gone on for days. <laughs> Most um, likely. We should have a convention. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. I mean, you're just an incredible role model uh, for the young women in your congregation and uh, I, I just uh, you know I, I, I'm so glad you brought this to my listeners because I'm sure most of them don't know about the, the Church of Sweden I mean I will admit that I, I didn't know much about it I didn't know that they had um, you know uh, priests who were women and uh, you know I mean you have expanded my horizons so thank you so much Thank you so much, and and thank you for for this important voice of the feminine. And you have safe travels on your way home, and let's be sure we keep in touch, okay? Yes, thank you so much. Okay, good night. Good night. Oh, so that was uh, Karen Larson, uh, a priest with uh, the Church of Sweden, and... uh, Learned lots of good stuff there, so I, I hope you enjoyed that uh, as much as uh, as I did. I'm sure a lot of you are now going to probably start to Google uh, the Church of Sweden, and uh, you know I should have asked her the name of the woman who is uh, the Archbishop of the Church of Sweden. Uh, my bad, uh, I should have done that. But you know what? You can still do that, of course, after the show. After the show, Google it, Church of Sweden, see who the Archbishop is, because she is a woman. Well, um, I promised you last night that uh, I was going to uh, share our roving reporters' uh, messages, um, and I didn't get to all of them because our interview with Wendelin about Athena and uh, drinking from the poison well, uh, we just got too involved, and I didn't get to share it all with you. So I will uh, go ahead and share some of these little snippets of information Pat thinks and I think uh, you might be interested in. Uh, so first of all, she says, as the Olympics begin, uh, senators renew the call for equal pay for U.S. women's soccer stores. Uh, two U.S. senators on Wednesday renewed their efforts to scrutinize why players on the U.S. women's national soccer team earn less 
than their male counterparts just hours before uh, the USWNT begins its run at a fourth consecutive Olympic gold medal. Uh, quote, we remain focused on the pressing issue of pay equity for the U.S. women's national soccer team, uh, Senator Patty Murray, a Democrat from Washington, and Diane Feinstein, Democrat from California, wrote in a letter addressed to the U.S. Soccer Federation, the sports American governing body. Apparent pay disparities such as those between the men's and women's soccer team sends the wrong message to young women and men and have no place in the 21st century. And that was a Huffington Post article, uh, if you're interested in looking it up. Uh, U.S. Women's National Soccer Equal Pay. You could probably find it. Um, and you know it's good gun control when it pisses off the gun lobby. Thank you, Pat. Uh, California gun laws uh, bring sweeping restrictions in wake of Orlando shooting. Gun rights advocate uh, calls bill a gun uh, gun uh, apocalypse, gun uh, gun apocalypse. I can't say it. Uh, anyway, California Governor Jerry Brown signed a sweeping package of gun control bills, banning high-capacity ammunition magazines and expanding the definition of prohibited assault weapons in the wake of mass shootings in San Bernardino and Orlando. The bill signed by Brown bans so-called bullet buttons, which allow quick changes in the magazine of a military-style weapon and require background checks. Uh, for purchasers of ammunition. So a ban on those um, bullet buttons, uh, the, you know, the magazines that hold so many bullets, and also uh, the bill requires background checks for purchases of ammunition. Ammunition magazines that hold more than 10 bullets at a time will also be banned, and background checks will be needed for people borrowing guns from non-family members. Again, that is a Huffington Post article, uh, California Gun Laws. Uh, you could probably find it. And uh, the final uh, article from Pat, uh, researchers have uh, found an ancient sanctuary to the pagan god Pan. Archaeologists in northern Israel have uncovered a massive Roman-era uh, gate they believe may have served as an entrance to an ancient pagan compound. The site, they believe, may have been used in worship and festivities honoring Pan, the ancient god of flocks and shepherds, known for his love of music and sexuality. The discovery of the gate, however, suggests the mask may be a remnant from a large sanctuary dedicated to the god. And they're showing a picture of a, of a mask in the archaeologist's hand. Uh, but the size of the gate, which the researchers believe measured up to 20 feet tall, suggests the site's scope may have been larger than previously thought. Uh, Eisenberg, the archaeologist, is uh, quoted here saying, monumental gate structures lead to large compounds. Accordingly, it is not impossible that this gate led to large building complex. Uh, what kind of worship of Pan or his fellow Dionysus, the god of wine, took place here in Hippos? Uh, the researchers said in a release, to answer that question, we will have to keep digging. So uh, hopefully, if uh, as more information becomes available, uh, Pat will uh, provide it for us. 
So um, if you weren't with me last night, uh, you might not have heard me say, because uh, I don't think I've mentioned it very often, that I'm about ready to give birth to a new book. Yes, uh, it's in the hopper, uh, and it's about ready to go to the publisher. It's my second anthology that I've curated. The title is Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward, uh, which I'm actually dedicating to Bernie and Jane Sanders and Rianne Eisler, uh, author of The Chalice and the Blade and The Power of Partnership. It's about how goddess spirituality has matured and actually offers us a moral compass to lead humanity toward a better quality of life. So if you're new to the show... um you know, I hope you will check my website, KarenTate.com, and uh, there you can find my other books, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. Uh, I think the title speaks for itself. Uh, Goddess Calling, uh, Inspirational Messages and Meditations uh, that I used to give in a ministerial uh, capacity uh, at Sacred Sundays. And... Um, uh, also, uh, some meditations that encourage a deepening connection to the sacred feminine. And, of course, there's the anthology um, based on this radio show uh, the, of the same name. Uh, the anthology is Voices of the Sacred Feminine, the subtitle Conversations to Reshape Our World. Uh, it's also out there. And the one that I forget to mention, my second book, uh, Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth, that was actually an award winner. Um, and uh, it sort of encompasses, um, you know, my life as a priestess uh, founding the Isis Ancient Culture Society. It's sort of, uh, you know, growing up um, and incorporating goddess, you know, into my personal spiritual paradigm as well as bringing goddess and rituals and, um, you know, all sorts of public things to the community. So there's lots of prayers and meditations and rituals and perspectives uh, in that one, too. So uh, if you would, uh, check it out. So, uh, well, that will about do it uh, for me tonight, dear listeners. Uh, I will close with um, the two quotes that have really become sort of a mission statement, if you will, for the show I think it's also a reflection of uh, birthing goddess spirituality into the world. Uh, the first is by the 19th century German philosopher, author uh, Schoenhauer, who says, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. And third, it is accepted for being self-evident. And the other one, uh, by Gandhi, First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And, you know, I think we are seeing uh, that we are in these very stages. Um, you know, it may be uh, two steps forward, one step back, you know, or vice versa, but uh, I certainly feel we are in these stages. We are making the paradigm shift happen. So thank you again, uh, listeners, uh, for tuning in to the show. Uh, as I always say, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, you are the gas in my tank. Uh, you certainly are. I love getting your emails. I love your feedback. I love your suggestions. So please, uh, please, please keep it coming. So I will close tonight with um, a song by Celia called Please Forgive Us. And uh, please remember to be with me next Wednesday. Uh, my guest will be Ava Parr.
Uh, and she will be talking about the Museum of Women down in Orange County. I think you'll want to make sure you hear about that. So here is um, Please Forgive Us by Celia. Enjoy. Good night and have a wonderful weekend.
Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.